Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I'm here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and today's topic is how to write endings. And this is the third part in our three-parter, you know, how to write beginnings. If you haven't listened to that, that's the first one. Go listen to it. How to write middles and now how to write ends. So before we get to the topic, just like every week, we're going to talk about what we have accomplished this week. Holly, go ahead. (laughs) This was a weird, weird week. Um, I got my words on Dead Man's Party. I got uh, 1,112 words, and uh, I killed off a character I loved. I knew it was coming, and then I thought I had figured out a way for it not to. And then my muse twisted the way not to to make it so that I had to and I damn near cried while I was writing it but I wrote it anyway and I'm but it is it was like oh but 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 I had it fixed no no news says no anyway okay wishbone um I did not get 6,000 words this week I got 4,079 words but I accidentally finished the first draft <laughs> um, it came in a little shorter than I had anticipated, and I when I always add when I go in and do my revision anyway, so it's not like it's going to be a short book. It's going to be the same length as the others. It's just, it, it my muse has just been uh, hand hand twisting, giggling evil this yeah. week, and yeah. I was writing along, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, okay, I know. What this, it's out of nowhere. I know what happened next with this character that in, in my mailing list for the, the, my science fiction, um, I had this little game going and I have, I am way behind on updating my mailing list. But is is this the choose your own adventure or is this the Katie game? This was just the the, Katie game. This was just, you know, can you, do you have any idea who my main character, who, who the, this one character is and I had not expected that character to show up in this book I had figured it would be a later thing but about halfway through this character showed up in this book so I've known okay well I'm writing this character didn't know who it was so I you know I was playing along with the readers of the the mailing list when they were sending in their ideas for who it was we were all wrong we were, we were not just all wrong. We were all so amazingly, impossibly, crazily wrong that I can't even believe it. Because as I started writing that scene and all of these little pieces fell into place and all of these little sneaky things that had been happening in the background that I didn't know why they were happening went click, I had this jaw drop moment. Where I went, oh my God, I don't believe it. As my fingers were writing it, my 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 editor brain is going, what? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? And it's perfect. It fit beautifully. But it, I I in my I had no idea. 
I had absolutely no idea. And as I came to the end of the scene, it was also the end of the book. About 15,000 words too soon. Yeah, I was going to ask what your word count was now. Yeah, yeah. I'm at around 68. I'm at around 65. I wanted 75 to 80. So I'm, I'm short. But it's the right ending. And I will go back in and, and then put in all the pieces that aren't in there that are going to make this ending fit in the revision. <laughs> Because there are a lot of things in there that made it click for me, but there's a lot of stuff that it's going to take to to fix. It, you know, this is like all of my first drafts. This one is pretty thoroughly wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also like the, you know, you have gotten a winner of a solution or an ending or a twist or something like that. If your internal editor is going like, whoa, wait, what? Uh, excuse me? Holy shit. Wait, that that was what was going to happen? You know, if if you can shock your inner editor or your inner critic, yeah. that left brain, into saying, God damn, that's pretty good. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and the inner editor was going, Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it has been implied from the beginning, from from hunting the Corrigan's blood, it has been implied that this ending, this thing that happened was a possibility. It's no oh, shit. Just yes. It's just I didn't know it. And as I think back through the earlier books, yeah, that possibility has always been there. It has always been very clearly there. It's just it was I I love my muse. <laughs> yeah. Do. That's really amazing. So then my last thing was uh how to write a novel. Uh I got lesson 34 done which was the theme allegory follow-up for people who don't know how to write, how, how to, don't know how to develop a theme and don't know how to develop an allegory inside of a novel, which is a really important thing to do if you want your readers to keep the book. You know, if you want them to, to save it and have it mean something to them yeah. after the point where they finished reading it that first time, uh, you need to develop a theme and an allegory. And in this... Uh, my guys developed their theme and their allegory back in Lesson 15. Now, in, at Lesson 34, they're almost done with the book. So now you're checking to make sure that you've used it all the way through, and this is how you check it and, and, and yeah. how you make sure that you didn't lose your, lose your point. So, And that was my week. It was a really, really good week and just unbelievably strange. But it's also one of those weeks where it really reminds you, like, there's no other job you'd rather have. Oh, God, yeah. This was definitely, <laughs> this was definitely a keeper week. Uh, for my week, it was it was a lot less, um, like you already know, I changed therapist, I changed psychiatrist, and apparently the, <laughs> the previous psychiatrist had prescribed me the one drug that you never prescribe somebody who is actively trying to get pregnant even though they're going through for infertility problems and stuff so I um, am going through a process of switching drugs so it's been a little weird so I've kind of taken the week to um, try to do other things not pushing myself too hard with any fiction I did get a little fiction done which um for me, that was actually pretty huge. I also did the first pencil portrait, like finished pencil portrait I've done in over a year because Ooh, and the it last was gorgeous. It it actually made me feel really good and some fiction, but mostly I have been reading 
um, and doing some, some background stuff. I got to lesson eight or nine of how to write a novel and some of the stuff like I already know, like the exposition dumping. Um, so I'm learning, like I'm, there's still something in every single, in every single lesson that I have learned. Cool. It's, it's really, some of it is really good for a refresher course and some of it is really good for, um, thinking in a different way. And I think that this is, that's always important when you're a writer, you don't want to get stale Mm -hmm. in every single book you write. If you do it the exact same way, for some people that might be fine. But it's always good to continue learning and it's always good to try new things. And sometimes freshening things up can get you out of a rut. So I found that that was, you know, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back in. And next week, I'm going to be writing every morning with you. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. So Monday through Friday, um, I'll be getting up early enough to, to catch you when you're writing fiction. I'll write the fiction. And if I have to, I'll just go back to bed <laughs> after I'm done. But yeah, so um, our topic today, how to write endings. And again, this is part of the three-parter. I know that everybody has really enjoyed how to write beginnings. Uh, Middles is coming out at the time that we're recording this. Middles will be the one that's coming out Tuesday. So, you know, hopefully... It's it's a it's a popular piece too. I actually liked. I thought we had more fun with the middles than mm-hmm. even with the beginnings. So let's get into endings. All right. Well, <laughs> endings. <laughs> I, I I am like the poster child for uh, endings that fall on your head. <laughs> so I cannot say that I plan my endings. I plan an ending. And then I write toward that ending, but um, my muse likes to play one up, where if I come up with something, it wants to come up with something better. So uh, by the time I have gotten all the way to being ready to write the ending, um, I am frequently two or three potential endings ahead of where I started. So. Endings change for me. Endings are incredibly, incredibly fluid. And they I don't really have the right ending until I've written my revision. <laughs> so it's so weird because a lot of the times for the short stories I'll write or the um the screenplays and even two of the novels. Oh, that's the different. ending the, well, two of the novels that okay, I've done. Good. The ending has is what was inspiring me to write the whole thing in the begin in the in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's with short fiction. I mean, with with, with um, like short shorts and yeah. short stories up to maybe three, four thousand words. Yeah, I am writing towards an ending. I know the ending, and I am writing the story towards that ending. With a novel, it's a completely different process. Yeah, uh, because I have all of that time where my muse gets to think about better ways it can better me and it can beat my inner editor that came out with this the outline and uh that and it just goes crazy uh, well how i'll have to see how this one does because this one right now i'm working towards my muse is excited about the ending that it came up with that Mm -hmm. that was and like the house on um the house on andrews ave is the working title that i'm working with right now and 
this is the it still has the original ending that the muse wants to write to nice. so i'll have to see if it changes as i go along i mean in in any case it's going to not be exactly the same mm-hmm. because you're going to potentially make it better just by picking up little threads right right i i just want to emphasize don't think that the ending you start out writing towards is the nailed to the the wall must hit this ending yeah. ending I, I mean now there are times you you will come up with an ending that is so amazing that you just you cannot beat it um but that rarely rarely happens to me usually my endings are kind of placeholderish but yeah yeah so so by the time my muse is through with them they're not <laughs> well i think too many people look at outlines and especially endings as in like immovable like Mm -hmm. it's it's this this carved in stone thing that you have to get to and then they'd rather change parts of the outline or not write things in their story like oh well that's great that's a really cool idea but it doesn't fit the ending so maybe i'll use it for another book or maybe i won't i won't use it and then they forget it and they keep writing and and they're losing that spontaneity, and they're also pushing away their muse. Right, right. And that is that is totally not good. Um, back when I was doing commercial fiction, uh, you had to do a, an outline. And the outline had to be all the way through to the ending. And it was this outline plus sample chapters that you sent to your agent, who sent to the publisher, or sent to the editor, rather. And they bought the book based on the outline. The only thing my editors knew when they bought an outline, a book on outline for me, was that they weren't going to be getting that book. (laughs) They they would be getting something that was the same subject matter, had the same characters, but uh, had the same world, had the same tone, you know? But it wasn't going to be that ending, and it wasn't going to be that story. It was going to be something, because my muse writes, writes an outline, and then says, "Okay, I've told that story. Next, and it won't it won't look at it as well. This is we're just doing this, and then we're going to write it again. It's, no, no, we're not. No, we aren't. And and I will sit here and not do anything if you think that's what we're going to write. <laughs> so, uh, outline and synopsis did not work well for me. <laughs> I always liked the books I got, so did my editors, but they were not the books that I had outlined. Yeah, they're not the books you sold. No, they aren't the books I sold. They were better, but." Um, but yeah. Okay. So endings, weak endings are the endings that you get in an outline. They're predictable. They are, you have set up these characters, you have set up these actions and you have come to a conclusion and you have followed a logical progression in setting up your outline so that you get from point A to point B to point C to the ending. And you can see how you got there. That is predictable. That is a weak ending. Weak endings are ordinary in the same way that weak beginnings are ordinary. You start with a day in the life of, and you end with a day in the life of. Weak endings don't knock anybody through the floor. They don't shake up what you understood about the world. They don't leave you loving something you didn't even know existed until now. They don't change you as the reader, and they don't change you as the writer. One of the things that has been most amazing for me in doing this for as long as I have is that every time I write a new book, 
And every time I push myself, it makes me slightly better as a human being. It forces me to look at something I have assumed I knew, question it, forces me to push myself to understand more deeply some aspect of human existence. And it, it, it changes me. And the ending that changes you is not going to be an ordinary ending. As the one that I got this week was not an ordinary ending. And it changed settled space. The whole damn thing changed it. Wow. Yes. And I knew, I knew from the instant that I wrote Isash Yamamoto, I knew that there was more there than what I saw. And this week... It went bam. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, God, I was so happy. It was awesome. Okay, oh, with so- like weak endings, that seems to be one of the problems with a lot of the romances. Because even though the romance novels and stuff, when you're reading them and everything, it's, it's, it, even the middles can be great. But mm-hmm. the endings, you always know where they're going. And that was one of the problems I had when I was writing Leaving Wanda Lucia is like, you already know that they're going to get together. Mm-hmm. So my muse was like, okay, well, how can I try to really make this um, diff- a different ending? And mm-hmm. I feel like up until the very end part, it, it you know, till the point where, okay, well, obviously they're going to, you know, be together. I felt like my muse kind of tossed in. It, it didn't make it easy for the main character w- when it could have been a lot easier. Um, but that's one thing that I think that romances could really... It's, it's, it's like this problem, though, because the romance reader is going into it wanting that happily ever after or, or happily for now. Right. Ending. Right. That, that is the contract between you and your reader is that you have to get, if you are writing a romance, it is understood. It is your contract between you and the reader that you are not going to screw them over. You are going to give these two people who have fought so hard to be together, they're together. Yeah. That you promise that that's yeah. the job. So and, the best way that you can do it is to just throw the most obstacles and make you really wonder okay i already know they're going to be together but how are they going to overcome these obstacles yeah that's that's the best way that you can do it is is just make really strong ending or strong beginnings strong middles because they already know where it's headed at least with most most lines i know that there are some lines out there that are more about just sex that are more about um just the suspense they aren't all just for romances so i'm not lumping every romance genre in i'm saying for your your typical kind of you know just a romance even some of the regency romances like um knight in shining armor that one had a neat ending because he was in the past she was in the present they could not be together Mm -hmm. so at the end he was still in the past she got back to the present and she met his reincarnation. So it was kind of a way of getting them back together. Although I can still say that it was not a satisfying ending. Yeah. Because it wasn't him. Right. Right. And, and yes, that's, that, was, that was the tough thing for me with writing those four suspense paranormals. Was they were, at heart, romances. And... 
at the end, I had to get my protagonists together, alive. <laughs> and, yeah. And the alive that part was, was in doubt all the way through on all four of those things. Yeah. And I could not allow my muse to do what my muse does, which is um, kill off a major character. <laughs> Or or do something surprising at the end, right? Or yeah. do something. Yes, I had I had to keep my my contract with my reader for those four books. In that these people had to survive together, and I, I and so I did it. I did it. It was really 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 hard to do. <laughs> Not a problem most writers writing paranormal romance would have. No. But. <laughs> no. But so what else is there? Okay. Weak endings leave characters unchanged. So not only are you leaving your reader unchanged, but you are leaving your characters unchanged. They come, And this is more of a problem for writers of literary fiction than it is for writers of genre fiction. This is one of the places where genre wins. Genre writers generally win big time, is that they have characters who, because they are specifically fighting towards something, um, they and there is a plot and there is a hard series of conflicts that must be overcome. The characters come out the other end different and frequently stronger and better and and have paid a price for what they have learned. Literary fiction, because it focuses on emotion and feelings and it does and it tends to dislike plot, does not, allow for that kind of necessary change in the character. So characters come into the story and go out of the story essentially unchanged. And, and this is just a broad stroke. Right. This is, this yeah, is, this is yeah. a very broad generalization. There is a lot of very good literary fiction out there. Um, but there's, there's actually an example of one of these in a genre that has been bothering me. Okay, and, cool. Um, so, I, I don't have a problem with the writer. I've actually read um, up to book eight in the series. I've been reading it for about two years or something like that. And I just, I stopped um, midway through book eight because... There's no character arc. Now, There's he's done 9, 10, and 11 now, and I have them on my to-buy list because I do want to read them. I do want to see if he finally does give them an arc. If there's, But there's this ghost from her past from all eight books that has been in the books and is a dangerous ghost, but there's no... The stakes don't raise from book to book. Mm -hmm. And the character never changes. Yeah. Just the things around her happening, there's things that happen and she never grows from, I'm already on book eight and there's no growth. That is a, a specific type of series. Um, it is much more popular in series like Nancy Drew. It's called an inconsequential cast. But it's... Like, I remember going through your series, and the, the cast has changed. Um, one of the characters, I don't know if he's going to die or not, but there, there could be 
that possibility. There is consequential time. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, okay. So there is time actually is passing in this. Yeah, yeah. Because things change. Oh. The the paranormal group has changed. It got taken over by these other people. And and so there's consequential time. And the, the cast is not bulletproof as far as I've noticed. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, I know she's she is the main character. But it's just there's no... Like she has new scars, she has she has new um, effects from the things around her, but she has not grown. She has not changed. In that case, and that's a flaw of the writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I love the concept of the books. Um, I really like. There's certain unique things he does, but it's just very hard to get back into because there's. Like I said, there's no arc and there's no character growth. And when you're reading eight books, you want to, and he's got up to 11 now, you want to see the character grow. You want there to be some kind of evolution. Yes. And as the reader, go along with that. Yeah, that is, I was I was going to say the exception to this is if you're writing a, a never-ending series with inconsequential time and a bulletproof yeah. cast. But yeah. this isn't that. So in that case, no, you've got to change your characters. And if you're not, then people are going to have the experience that you're having of being, of feeling trapped in, inside of a character who, who does, isn't alive. Because the thing about being alive is that you change. You grow, yeah. you learn, you, you suffer things, and, and the things that happen to you change you, and you affect your world, and you create change. And if that's not happening you're missing a major major portion of your of your your fiction there yeah and the frustrating thing is like i said everything else around her is like there are certain things that change and it wasn't it's not it doesn't feel intentional because she's trapped by this other ghost you can't go 11 books with her being trapped by the fear of this one ghost while she takes care of other ghosts as her as her major bad guys her major i mean it's even when you're when you're reading Harry Potter, Voldemort is always the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Voldemort is always the major fear, but the characters grow. Yeah. Harry Potter, the main character, grows and changes and learns things and gets braver. And that's what's missing as far as I've read, which is midway through book eight. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty significant chunk of a series to have read and to... to feel the unchangingness of, of a major character of the primary character the main character yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah that and in in, in 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 an already formulaic book there's that problem you know if it's going to be formulaic that's fine but show some growth or something you mm-hmm. know it's right but yeah and, right. and like i said I, I i obviously he's a good enough writer that i've read seven and a half of his books but right. it's it's just to that point, <laughs> right? Yeah, you don't want to you do, as a writer, you do not want your readers to feel trapped in an unchanged character, to feel that this person is is like stuck in in mud and the world is revolving around him or her, but it isn't touching the character it most needs to touch the viewpoint character. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so weak endings leave characters unchanged. Okay, weak endings are meaningless. And this is kind of a follow-on from leaving your characters unchanged. You, 
And a kind of a follow-on from what I was talking about with theme and allegory. When you're writing a novel, you want it to be about something. And you don't necessarily want your reader to know what it's about. I bury my themes and allegories so deep that people think that I write about all kinds of stuff I don't, which is fine because they are finding what they need from it. And that's my point. If you are writing something that is meaningful and passionate to you, then you are going to give something to the reader. And it may be something exactly the opposite of what you got out of it when you wrote it. Uh, I have I have people who think I one of my books was an environmentalist rant where I was I was um, advocating in favor of of major environmentalist issues, and um, the that actual book was uh, my rant against uh, a specific version of of religion that I grew up in, <laughs> but yeah. they took. They, they took something completely, entirely a million miles away from what I had been writing towards and thinking, but it still meant something to them. It mattered to them because it allowed them to see something important to them and, and ask questions about that and come to a conclusion that they really liked, even though it wasn't what I was writing about. I was writing about religion. That's fine. It's about something, and the something that comes to the end gives the reader something that matters. It gives them something that they can take away. And if it's meaningless, if you're just writing and and the, the story doesn't really have a theme, you know, it's just characters who are doing stuff, and they get to the end, and they do stuff, and the end, they... I can think of one writer whose name I cannot I cannot mention because I do not want to you know crap on anybody's work. New York Times bestseller. Uh, she is she is a beautiful writer. Her words are just breathtaking, and I read a lot of her work, and finally walked away went from it when I realized that that at the very ending, all she had done was shown people living through crap. And they didn't, they didn't, and they were still living through crap at the end. And that was it. I mean, my God, can she write? You know, you read her stuff and it's like, holy shit, I wish I could do that. She is brilliant, but she says nothing. Okay, and then the last thing is weak endings drop threads. And this is um, much more a beginner problem than it is an intermediate or ending problem. This is something that you get so clobbered on by readers when you do it, that um, by the third or fourth of your published novels, you have learned to go back through during revision and find threads. But having done this myself, and I will even tell you the book in which I did it, Fire in the Mist, my very first published novel, my second novel oh, ever. I remember this thread too. Yes, yes. And I have this, this wonderful world that I had built and this character, uh, my main character, Fea, who saved a kid from her village. Uh, he was the only survivor. And the two of them go off and she does this thing that brings down the magic authorities on her because she she did some serious shit and it broke the magic on the world for about a week and when they find her they take her off she is dragged off 
to magic school so that she doesn't do anything that devastating again. <laughs> and the kid goes off with uh, relatives in the village that they were headed to. And that's it. I never picked up the kid. I never went back to say, well, what happened to him? And, you know, I, I got fan mail. And I, I am going to use air quotes here because there were a lot of people who loved the book, but I also got fan mail chastising me for killing a cat, chastising me for killing a couple of dogs, and a lot chastising me for, well, what happened to the kid? I went, <laughs> uh-oh. I forgot. I just forgot that I had him in there because he was just there so that she had something left from her world that she could could hang on to and then and then I didn't keep him I didn't keep writing him and that was that was a real rookie mistake man yeah and you can actually in in how to revise your novel you help people not make that mistake by explaining the important like the the weight of your words and the weight of your descriptions and giving characters names and you you show people like okay is this character meant to be somebody important mm-hmm. well then this is how many you know you give that point scale yes and that's how i found quite a few people including <laughs> my prince trucker dude <laughs> he was and i know i mentioned this before but but i i leveled up the points and it was something like a 16er Mm-hmm. 16, 17. It was 15 plus points, which that means it's a major character. Yeah, he's he's one of your main characters. Yeah. And like I described him in the forums and everybody's like, yeah, I'd love to read about him. I want to know more about him. He sounds great. And like literally one of your, your things was, what does this character feel like and what is this character supposed to be? The what does this character feel like is a late edition main character that will probably change the story, be comic relief and and be impactful to the plot what is this character supposed to be was literally just to make the diner not empty (laughs) right right and that was where i blew it with the kid whose name i don't even remember right now yeah is i had given him a name i had given him um the the incredible role of lone survivor of a plague trapped in a house with his dead relatives I had made him somebody that she knew. I had given them this thing together where she, she cleaned up what was left of their village with him beside her, and he was in tears and terrified, and she comforted him afterwards. There was this thing where they traveled together talking as they headed towards they knew not what. And he was telling her she could come and live with his fam- his relatives in this village. And then I drop him? Yeah, they had chemistry before and after and during yes. and everything. And then, yeah, and then he just, he's She was like a big sister to him. Yeah, yeah, because he actually used the term in the book that meant like big sister or Sistling. something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so, yeah. That weak endings drop threads. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you don't do that if you, and and then 
that those, so those are the five things. Weak endings are predictable. They are ordinary. They leave characters unchanged. They are meaningless in that you don't have a theme or an allegory in your story, and you're not actually writing about anything that matters to you. And they drop threads, including major characters that you didn't realize were major characters. Okay, so with that, now let's look at strong endings. And strong endings, the first thing is they surprise you. And with that, I will say sometimes they surprise you 15,000 words early and <laughs> drop on your head like the house in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> but that's not, that is not a bad thing. That's a, boy, this is going to be a pain in the ass to revise thing. But it's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because something that moves you so much and leaves you so excited and comes at you and says, oh my God, I can see how everything I have been writing in this world through three novels and six or six stories, three novels and, and six novellas had this already built in and I just didn't see it. And you go, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that, you know, you want an ending that surprises you as the writer, that makes you love it. And do you have anything you want to bring in on that? Oh, just, I, I love the surprise. As much as I say, like, I have had these endings that my muse writes towards, I have had two endings. Um, Glass House did not get the the ending written that it was um supposed to because the ending well okay so i know that the surprise ending because glass house has has a twist to it and that that was the thing that my muse was writing to but the ending there was supposed to be a showdown in the house and my muse came up with something that changed the entire thing that changed like all the way from back for the first the first scene it changed the fact that they were diner owners into the fact that they owned a biker bar it changed just everything and that revision is going to be massive <laughs> i'm going to have to rewrite literally every fucking scene in the book changed character dynamics it's just it's a, it's amazing but it's worth it because it gave me Part of it came from the octopus map, too. That's the one that everybody voted on as the the yeah. thing for how to revise your novel for for the update that I'm getting ready to do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That you're doing the, that as the demo of the full version of, of a revision. Yeah. And they're going to get that god-awful first draft. <laughs> and if everything goes the way that it's supposed to, they're going to get a completely different second book and, and just look at it like, holy fuck, like, like okay well if she can revise that to this i can definitely do my stuff right <laughs> but well, the yeah. the other thing i have had twists come through with screenplays um and i actually have it, it it's it is that moment where your muse thanks you in my mind for listening and for allowing it to write and for allowing it this time to just be there and on the page and everything to have these twists. And a lot of the times for me, um, a lot of it when the ending changes, it's it's not as sudden as yours. 
it's more like I'm in the middle or I'm, I'm writing in it and it keeps adding all of these different things because it's telling me, okay, well, the ending isn't what you've written because this is happening and this is happening. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my God. So the, the, the book continues to grow longer. Like I had the, the one for my pen name that was supposed to be 30,000 words. Well, I'm already at 30,000 words and I'm maybe halfway through because the book has, the, the muse didn't like the, the, I guess, shallowness of it, even though I had theme allegory, I had, I had subtext, but the muse was like, no, we're going to go deeper. So cool. Yeah. Now I have a new ending that I'm writing to. It's still dark, <laughs> but, and again, that's, that's aside, but, but good endings can surprise you not even right at the end, but even at the beginning, it can change. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that is a really, really fine point, is that as you start into the book and as your muse starts kicking into gear and getting its, its feet in the story, things change and then they change and then they can change again. My muse has multiple times come up with three or four different endings that I would start writing toward and then change them because it came up with something even better that still used most of what I have. I have some really gory revisions. I do. And by gory, I mean that there is ink all over every single page and handwritten sheets after sheets after sheets of pages of new stuff. And my, my revisions bleed, but they bleed good because the stories that I get out of them, I am so excited about afterwards. And they come from some pretty awful first drafts. (laughs) (laughs) Strong endings tie up all um, or in a series most loose ends. Um, My kid, that was a loose end that I really, really needed to tie up because I do not appreciate authors who go back through years later and uh, rewrite books that they wrote before and change them um, and and generally change them in ways that I find less good than the original versions, which were fresh and well thought out. And, and you know, they had mistakes because it was the early work of the author. Um, and I'm thinking of a couple of, of writers who look like they have stopped doing this, but who for a while were rewriting their old books and changing them. Uh, I have not done that. I have not gone through and fixed the kid because that was a screw-up I made. Um... It was my first published novel. I have learned, but people, but there are things when you go in and change a book that you break. And I, I got enough right in that book as a first novel that I don't want to go in with my superior skills. I'm using air quotes, and um, and break something that I had right the first time. Because I think I know better this time. Well, I just don't understand why anybody would would do that. To me, it's pointless. You write a book, you had it, it you it meant something, and even if you grow, because you know, hopefully, life you grow, you change, you mm-hmm. you learn different opinions, you go back and forth on things. You don't go back and change what you did. It's like it's it's like history. It it's done. 
Mm-hmm. It's there. It's out there. It's, you know, move on. Yeah, to write, me, it Write is, something new. That is exactly it. To me, it is Steven Spielberg going in and having the military go in, um, in... Oh, E.T. with e. talkies Yeah, yeah. And, and airbrushing out the the military carrying guns and replacing them with walkie-talkies. That infuriated me. It's also not letting something go. It's, mm-hmm. it's getting stuck on something and, and trying to be a perfectionist. Nothing is ever going to oh, be perfect. God, or George Lucas and all the special effects in all the Star Wars movies. Where yeah, he went in it's, it, it ruins it. It ruined me. it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you just have... leave the old ones alone. Right. Right. They were the, the first versions. We have the first versions of the movies, and those are the only ones we watch. Yeah. Because the added stuff did not add. It just messed things up. It muddled things, and that's why I don't do that. So, yeah, well, you I see screwed a lot up of, in my first novel. But <laughs> You see a, a lot of a lot of in, indie writers going back and editing their books and re-editing their books and re-editing their books. That time would be better spent creating new stories, mm-hmm. creating new characters, using what you've learned, and putting more out there. Because fixing an old book... It, it, why are you doing that? Right. What, what's the point? It, typos, and, and, yes. Yeah, yeah. Typos, grammar, that I, that I get. I, yeah. I could get you wanting to fix it and then put it back out there. But even then, even then, there's only so much of that that, you know, there's plenty of typos in even the best of books. Mm-hmm. There, there's a few here and there. And it's forgivable. For, for readers who want to read they don't want to read the same story over again for a couple of different characters changing they want to read new work from from an author yes and authors have amazing ideas if you write a lot you you get these ideas there's not enough time in your lifeline even if you were to live to 100 even if you were to live to 150 there's not enough life to get all of the stories out that could matter so stop spending so much time reworking old stuff mm-hmm. you know it tell as many stories as you can in the limited amount of time that you have on this planet right right absolutely okay um strong endings change characters that's the third one and this is life and death this is heartbreak and hope this is bringing your theme to a rich conclusion, giving people uh, something to keep reading for and some sense that life continues for, for the characters who survive your story beyond the scope of the book. That, that they have changed and because they have changed, they're alive and they will continue to change, which is the opposite of that kind of frozen in amber thing that you were mentioning yeah it's the problem too is that because the character doesn't change and there's a very formulaic feel to the books there's no the stakes don't seem to raise each time mm-hmm. even though you can see where the author is changing things and making things harder for the character if the character doesn't change the stakes don't matter right right it's part of of doing this job in such a way 
that you bring your readers into it is that they have to believe. And for them to believe, you have to believe. And for you to believe, you have to live through what your character is living through. You have to put yourself inside of the character. You have to hurt with the character and you have to be willing to do that. And seriously, I was about in tears. I had to kill off somebody that I loved, had to. It was the right thing for the book in Dead Man's Party. It, it, and I knew it and I knew it from very early on and when it happened, I knew I was writing along and suddenly my muse said, okay, it's time. And I went, no, 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 no. But I did it because it was the right thing for the story. Characters change. And sometimes the, your good endings change the characters. And, and sometimes that means killing off a character you love for a really, really good reason. And this reason was big, this, you know, and, and the reason and the character was heroic. I get a little teary eyed just thinking about it. And (laughs) it was, it had to be done and I did it and I am moving on, but yeah. Um, you know, you and changing of characters, your turn. I'm going to see. Well, yeah, with, within the series too, you, you want to, when you're, when you're reading these books, you want and I keep going back to Harry Potter because it is such a well-known series. Most of our listeners have, have, you know, since they're writers and they're readers, they have most likely read the Harry Potter books. Mm-hmm. There is so much change. And the amazing thing is with each book, as, as the changes are there, she presents obstacles that work with the changes. So as the characters grow the the obstacles grow the stakes grow and it's it's really well done in now there are some things that that bother me the the super long winded conversations with Dumbledore wrapping up everything at the end of the books that always drives me <laughs> just a little bit nuts mm-hmm. but you know she can get away with it because it's JK Rowling <laughs> but the the obstacles that it's it's just to me it's very brilliantly done how and and one of the the things that I hated most in those books that was well done and was needed and she had to do it was Sirius Black's death yeah I yeah I know fucking hated it Mm -hmm. hated it beyond I I, it got me to the point where I was like I'm gonna read any more of this which is (laughs) bullshit of course you're gonna read more but it changed Harry yeah, the the death of the the kid, the death of the the you know oh right the student, you know th- that was a that was a very big moment in the series too. It proved that the kids were not unkillable. Yeah, yeah, it proved the evil was was real and was getting and the stakes were getting worse. Mm-hmm. And and it fit because everybody was growing, the magic skills were growing, things were getting darker things were getting more real and you grew with the care or at least I did because I was the right age I was what 13 14 when the first one came out or maybe a little younger and I read them as I grew up and and I remember the last one coming out when I was in my 20s and it was just you grew with the character and the stakes grew and and it was so well done 
And that's what you expect from a series. Right. And that's what you want because you want, you don't want the book, every single book, to to have the characters go through the same thing over and over and over again. I can understand there's a certain appeal to that if it's inconsequential time, if it's um, a bulletproof cast like Nancy Drew, like the three mm-hmm. investigators that I loved when I was a kid. Right. You know, and you read some of Bruce Coville's stuff, and he has consequential time, even though he's he's a kid's book writer. I love Bruce Coville's stuff. Mm-hmm. So the characters changing is especially important in series because you're going to have readers you're going to have more people buy them and be obsessed with them and and buy other things you write because they know that they will be a part of that like they feel like they are a part of that character's life in a way like that that character is a part of their life like they've grown with them that's one thing that George R R Martin does when you know that when the characters don't die that you are growing with them or seeing them grow and seeing them learn and and as they go further y- you're going further it's yes. it's just this amazing adventure for you whereas when the character doesn't change it, you're also ending up reading the same things over and over again because as they don't grow you already know how they're going to react you already know what their daily lives are. You already know how they live their life. Mm-hmm. And after so many books, you already know, okay, well, after this, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And it doesn't have to be a formulaic thing for you to feel that. If the character isn't growing, then what's the point of reading the books? Yes. Yes, exactly. And that's... I'm still going to read, yeah, I'm still going to read the last, the last ones that are out there because I got to give it a chance. I got to see if, as he's growing as a writer, as his books are being sold, if, if she does change, I really want her to change Mm -hmm. and to grow and I want to see her succeed. So he's obviously a good enough writer in that area. Right. It's, it's just. He's just playing it safe right now. I don't, that's a long amount of books to go through with no. No character arc. Yeah, well, he might not even notice that he's not doing that. He might think he is because the things around her are changing and he is escalating stakes. But but it's... The stakes are meaningless if the character doesn't grow from them. Right. The thing about writing is that it is a job with seven million moving parts. And no matter where you are, there's still another ton of things you have to learn yeah and you can be doing it as long as i am doing it and i am <laughs> going through creating the how to write a novel class right now and i am still learning things from the novels i am writing as i go and throwing that stuff part of the reason that i wrote a demo novel for the class was so <laughs> because i know how my muse works and i knew that i would get some stuff just that i needed for the lessons just by writing a novel and having it break in interesting ways on me because that's what novels do. Yeah. It's, there are seven million things to learn. You yeah, never... and that's the, that's the thing about reading this series too is that I learned about book five 
maybe four or five, I realized what was bothering me about it. I mm-hmm. kept reading. I like the author. I really do. I'm not shitting on him at all. There's a lot of really cool fucking shit in there. And I love his unique take on things. It's They're good books to read. The only frustrating thing is the main character doesn't change. And that taught me. So as reading through different authors and things... Like you said, there's 7 million moving parts. You're always learning. There's there's never a point where you can say, oh, well, I've learned it all. Just taking all of the courses or, or well, I don't need this because I already know this. No, you don't necessarily already know anything. Right. You can always learn a new nuance to the something that you've already already known, basically. So even reading fiction out there now, you can you can learn from other people's works what to do or what not to do you and and if you want go back to our episode how to dissect a novel you love and really delve into a couple of novels that you love and delve into a couple of novels that you wanted to love but you couldn't Mm -hmm. and try to figure out why because that will teach you you know what to do and what not to do, especially if it's something you wanted to love. I want to love these books. I'm going to buy his last three or four books that he's got out there. So obviously he's doing something right. He's got a lot of good, I like some of the other characters. Right. But it's just, you know, (laughs) there's that one thing and it is a major thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, no matter where you are in your writing, you can always get better. Mm -hmm. And... And changing your characters, having, it's its something you have to learn how to do. And it requires a certain amount of being willing to throw yourself into a situation where you know you can, you can lose people because the changes you make might not be changes everybody likes. And that's, that's just a part of the job is that you're never going to please everybody. So you have to write what you want to read and then know that there are people who are out there who are like you who want to read that. But yeah. but do it by giving them characters that they can believe in and that they can think that these characters are alive and continuing to move on after the story ends because you have shown them changing during the story. That's, that's core. <laughs> that really There's, is. That is core yeah. stuff. There's there's one that um, that I'm reading right now, Darcy Coates, and I think I mentioned her last week too. Um, it's C O A T E S, I believe. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of the paranormal, but there's there's little to no romance in them, and they are also again unique takes on paranormal. They have you know the ghosts and the situations and the stuff that's going on in them. They they aren't what you expect and at the same time the characters that she writes are engaging and it's it you you definitely because I will sit there and I, I I'll read one of her books in a day and it's just kind of hypnotic the way she writes I really like her style mm-hmm. and her voice and the characters change they learn something they there's some a couple of smaller themes that are running through the books i just think that they're very well done and that is one thing is that her endings are so far very satisfying nice very nice which takes us 
to very neatly to our next thing, <laughs> which is strong endings have deep meanings. And you, as the author, get to determine what is deep. It is, it is what matters to you. And as the creator of a novel, everything that you have in it gets to be what you love or what you hate or what you fear or what you most desire and have never had. And you get to, to determine the meaning and you get to say that this is important because no matter what it is, there is going to be somebody out there who needs to read that book, who needs to hear what you have to say because you have lived something and you are you know, a step down the path further along than the person who's coming along behind you who picks up your book, who is looking for something. And if you write true to yourself, and if you write things that matter to you, the something that someone is looking for is going to be your something. And this, this is one of those things where I keep telling people, don't just copy what's popular. Because what's popular now, first off, is something that was in a publishing cycle six months or a year ago. And people are already starting to move on from that to something else. The thing, you, you, can't, you can't chase a trend and, and live in, in just writing things that you don't love to chase a trend, to hope to be marketable. If you write true to yourself, you will find, you, you will build your own trend for the people who are looking for you. And they will come looking for whatever it is you have in your story. So, so strong endings have deep meanings, but they have to be meanings that are deep to you, not meanings that you think are deep because they fit a current trend. Yeah. Um, you want to add anything to that? The entire story has to mean something to you. Right. Otherwise, you're just going to be writing something that doesn't change doesn't move anybody doesn't it's just another i mean and you can you can still pick up on on certain trends i mean some trends never go away romance doesn't go away you're always going to have people that want to read it but if if you don't enjoy writing it if it's not what makes you if it doesn't if it doesn't move you it's not going to move your readers and you're going to be sitting there wondering why your stuff doesn't sell as well as it should, or worse, maybe even worse, it does sell, and it sells somewhat steady, and then you're trapped writing this stuff that you don't like mm -hmm. because it, it because you it's know, paying the bills. Yeah, because it's paying the bills. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to show up to work to write this kind of stuff that you're probably doing formulaically, and you don't enjoy it anymore then again, we go back to, you might as well get a nine to five job. You might as well go out and um, go to school and, and get a technical ability and go out and do something else in the world that, that would actually matter to you to, to make you feel like you're making a difference because it's an easier way to, to earn a dollar to pay the bills right. than, than writing something that, that you hate and it's, it's going to turn. I have seen people hate teach themselves to hate writing i've seen people burn yeah. out by writing stuff that was making the money but 
ultimately they hated doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, don't don't do that. This is too hard a job to 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 chase it for for the money without making sure that you're chasing it for the money with love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the, we're talking to two people who who have no qualms about making money. I would love to make money. I I like money. I I it helps, you know. Yeah, yeah. In situations. Yeah, yeah. I need to get paid because I have bills to pay. So yeah. yeah. So I write yeah. for money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's that's the thing. So we don't have anything against writing for money at mm. all. But write what you love. Yes, to get paid. absolutely. Because this is such a hard job anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine trying to struggle with my muse, trying to get her to to write something that is formulaic every single time. Th- that uh, it's it's already hard enough to to get it working on a regular basis in the situation I am right now, mm-hmm. you know, and then to have to sit there and write. Okay, well, this is a. A fifty thousand word romance by itself. This is what happens. Formulaic. Already know the end. You know, it would just, it would drive me crazy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, we have one more strong ending. Strong endings are extraordinary, and this means exactly that—that <laughs> that it is not you coming in with what the reader expected. It is you figuring out what's better. What's, and, and I can't even say figuring out. I had, <laughs> I had almost nothing to do with the ending for the wishbone conspiracy that careened onto my head on, what was it, Thursday or Friday? I don't remember. Way, I think it was Thursday. It was Thursday, right, because I actually worked on, on, on nonfiction on Friday just because I needed a little breather after having been clobbered so vigorously by a muse who ended the book. And there, are, there are good endings. There are right endings. And then every once in a while, your muse is going to just hit one straight out of the park. Babe Ruth it, man. Just goes sailing out into the, the, the parking lot and breaks somebody's windshield. And, you know, lands like a rocket and you go, wow. And it's not even I did that. It's this part of my brain that occasionally just comes in and takes over and moves the hands that I have not a lot to do with. (laughs) That every once in a while you get that. But you are aiming for extraordinary. You are aiming to leave your reader going, wow. And you can't always get that. You can get really good most of the time. You can get great occasionally, but you're always aiming for extraordinary. You are always aiming for the ending that brings them back for the next book. And that is a collaboration between you, your muse, how well you're listening, how willing you are to take chances, um, how long the two of you have been working together. Mm. And you'd like to say it's a, your whole life because you and your right, your left brain and your right brain have you know, always been in there. But um, a lot of folks have just been shushing their right brain for years. So, well, yeah, and that's part of society trains that. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, that's, you know, don't, don't be creative, memorize, um, you know, don't, don't figure out, don't, don't write an essay. Um, just answer, check these ABC questions. Or, or do write the essay, but it has to be in this exact ADA formation and this exact, yeah. And that's the thing is like public school, college, a lot of jobs, they take the creativity out of people. Mm -hmm. And the term is, I want my crayons back. And (laughs) if, if you're feeling that, then yeah, go grab your fucking crayons. But not the coloring book. You know, you want to shoot for extraordinary and... I think that that was the difference that that glass house that that my muse shot towards me is that it knew I needed to build the magic system because I had neglected to do so. Went back to build the magic system. The ending came to me, and literally everything changed. And I don't know if it's going to be an extraordinary ending, but I want it to be, and I'm going to work as hard as I can during revisions to really make it in there be just this huge extraordinary thing and at the moment i feel like the ending i have for it the 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 extra little twist there at the end is the extraordinary like you you know that you know the twist at the end of glass house or at least you did you probably Mm. forgot but it it feels out of the blue it but it's it's there if you yeah yeah. yeah. So that that feels like an extraordinary ending that that does not. It my ideal is to propel the people to buy the next book. Like I really want to read this and see where the hell this goes because mm-hmm. holy shit, I can't believe that happened. But at the same time, it's not the cliffhanger because they get the solution right. to the original problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's something I need to mention too. Is great, great endings, strong endings are extraordinary, but they don't necessarily happen in first draft. Um, the process of revision allows you to go through and find stuff you put in the beginning that you can then build into an extraordinary ending after you've written the first draft. First draft is is just kind of the book that you're not writing <laughs> it's yeah. it's getting all of the pieces together for your puzzle and then discovering that all the pieces are square and you can put the the puzzle together in a completely different way that makes a completely different and better picture because every single piece goes with every single other piece it's just not the way you had it originally <laughs> It's like originally it was an abstract and then you start putting it together and it's actually a a photorealism picture. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Of something magnificent. Everything. And you get to say that you did that. Yeah. (laughs) So was there anything else? Um, Overall, we've we've got four things. This isn't the takeaway, but we've got four basic things that you want to look at. You want to have your characters solve the story problems. This is no deus ex machina, which yeah, uh, means, yeah, which means some outside force comes in and solves their problems for them. It was, this refers back to, to Greek playwriting in which yeah. the god in the machine came in and solved the character's problems. That doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't work if you go back and read the Greek plays. It does not work today. Uh, that is so deeply unsatisfying, it will make people throw a book against a wall. 
So number two, you make the solutions use pieces that are hidden in the middle in surprising ways. And this is very rarely something you do in first draft. This is almost always something you do in revision because your right brain will throw pieces into the first draft that you don't even see going in there. But as you go back through and read, after you have finished the novel and you've let it sit for a month, you go back in and you read through it and you find things in there you didn't even know you'd put in there. And the right brain goes, ooh, I can use that and this thing and that other thing. And if I use those three things, then I can make this ending that looks like I planned it from the very beginning and I look freaking brilliant. <laughs> and I surprised my reader, and I didn't cheat. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that so much. It's why I love revision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely, after taking the How to Revise Your Novel course, have changed my tune on revision because you have all of this power. You find all of these little things, and you're still writing, you know, yeah. you, you, you're writing, you're just taking all of the best parts and making them better and building them up. Yeah, it's, it's like discovering you have superpowers. Yeah. Because you go through and the first draft, you do this stuff and it's pretty good. But then you go back through, you step back in time and you change time so that you get the awesome ending with all of this stuff that's sticking in there that you had in there and you make you use it and and you you become magnificent <laughs> it's, oh god it's just such fun anyway okay um you number three is you have your main character earn the win and this is something a lot of people have a hard time with early writers especially because Writers are generally very nice people who want the nice job of sitting and typing for a living, you know, telling stories. And your character must pay a price for succeeding. That is what earning the win means, is your good guy gets to win, and your reader needs to have your good guy win. But it costs the main character something. And that's one of the things you were talking about with the stories you were reading, is that if she's not changing, she is not paying a price. No, it's well, it's it's always the same exact price every single time, and she's not changing, so it's it's not she. It's almost like she doesn't win. Mm-hmm. You right. know, it, right. <laughs> Right, because if it's if it doesn't change, that's not a win. That's a win has built into it the fact that somebody else lost. Yeah. And or something else lost. Or well, she the the cases that they have, they always close the cases. They always get their bad guy. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't grow from it so she's not winning personally right and she's not changing but like i said she has scars so it's like she's continuously paying the same price over and over and over again not growing not changing mm -hmm. and eventually that's the kind of thing that will burn out your readers right right um i'm going to use Cadence Drake, 
as my example for this. She destroyed a monster in the very first book. But in the process of her destroying the monster, her best friend died. And, you know, if you haven't read the book, I'm sorry, that is a spoiler. It's a big spoiler. She, she is still paying for that loss in book three in The Wishbone Conspiracy, the one I just finished, that she loved him. He was, he was her best friend since they were kids. They had gone through hell together. And she is trapped in a universe that he's no longer in. And there are parts of the universe that keep pulling her towards her own destruction because of the way the way parts of the science of space travel work so that as she is going through space, as she is folding through these origami points, she can see him in what look like other universes, reaching out his hand to her, begging her to come to him. And she knows that if she does, this is how pilots die, how transfold navigational pilots die, is if they go through and, and they, in the middle of, taking the ship through the transfold, if they accept these alternate visions, then they die. <laughs> and, and yet she is tempted because he is there and she lost him and they were, they were wonderful friends. And um, that part, a major part of the Wishbone Conspiracy is about that because she's not quite over him yet, not even with Herrig. I, I mean, that's not something you really can get over. No. That's just something you have to learn to live with and move on. Yeah. If you want to survive. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think you get over that kind of loss. Mm -mm. No. Yeah. So what else is there? Is that all four points? No, the fourth one was make the ending matter. And, you know, we've gone over that with have deep meanings, write about something you care about. Um, make sure that you have a theme in the story, something that is, it's, a theme can be as simple as love matters, you know, but it has to be something that, that when you're writing it, you know it's true and you are writing the truth of, of your life into your characters and you are giving them experiences that you have pulled from your own pain and your own triumph. And you have this theme and you have hidden it with your, your sub, you have hidden it in uh, an allegory and you have written it as subtext and it comes to the ending and the reader comes away from it knowing something true and something meaningful has happened. And, um, when you do that, then the readers who read you will, will go for your next books because you told you, you showed them something deeper than just um, characters going through the motions and step-by-step uh, step in a plot. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, sometimes you don't have to... like there, A lot of these points and everything, don't worry so much about it when you're doing first draft. Right. A lot of times the themes will surprise you. Um, when I was doing Leaving Wanda Lucia, I 
I was writing with a specific idea in mind, and then other themes showed up. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, which was pretty cool. Um, I had no intention of putting social, of a, of a social media theme in that um, book, and yet it, it, it kind of slid itself in there. It's not huge, but it makes a difference, and it does show up again in the second book with um angie and brock nice so there's there <laughs> and apparently it's going to kind of show up again in um the book that i'm writing right now really in a way yeah apparently i have a thing about social media <laughs> <laughs> but this one isn't really social media only it's it's more being it, it it's more having that facade that this next book in in this is is more trying to be something that is perfect trying to to be this this perfect person and this perfect existence and it does have social media in it because a lot of people you know they curate it's called curating lives and the 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 curated life you show is not real life right and i think that that's that's one of the themes apparently that that's going to pop in this next one i had no idea it was going to be there until i started writing that opener scene from the non-main character that i'm going to have to end up coming back to um just to be able to close it out but it's just that 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 just seems to be such an important thing for me to show other people because so many people, so much of life right now, we hit depression and, and we are the most connected we've ever been and we are the most disconnected we've ever been. Yeah. You yeah. know? I'm going to recommend a song for you. Have you, you know Disturbed, the band Disturbed. Are you going to talk about The Sound of Silence again? No, no, oh, okay. no. The most recent album they did has a song, um, I think it's called In Another Time, I, I Am Shit at Titles. But it is about social media. It is a song about social media, and it is brilliant. And that you is cool. will really like it. It is, um, yeah, well, I love Disturbed anyway. Yeah. yeah. They, are, they are one yeah. of my favorite bands, and I have all their stuff. But, um, the, the but most, yeah, I will, I will look that up then. Yeah. That's cool. Do, because that, um, and that, that is... Yeah, that's my plug for the day too. Is people go out buy Disturbed's most current album. <laughs> not not sponsored. No, not sponsored. I just love them, so you know. <laughs> is that everything? Would I know we have a takeaway still? Yeah, we have. That's that is the the four steps basically uh, to writing a good ending, and then from that, let's we can just go to the takeaway. Good endings. Make us laugh and cry, feel relief, hope, and desire, and give us something important to hold on to. They show us a piece of the author's passion and let us keep that and take it and incorporate it into our own lives. And because we have read that book, we are a somewhat better person for having done so. That is a good ending.
And that's the takeaway? That's the that's takeaway. A good, that's, a, that's a good takeaway. I yeah. like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's just very simple and very clear, and it it shows what matters about the ending, you yeah. know? So um, that has been our episode on how to write endings. Obviously, if you have any questions, if you want to join in on the conversation, it's hollyswritingclasses.com. And, uh, you know, if you don't have an account, absolutely free, no obligation to uh, own any of Holly's courses or anything like that. Just go ahead and join. And our podcast forum is clearly labeled podcast alone in a room with invisible people. Come on in, talk to us, ask us questions. Not only are we on there pretty much every every weekday for sure, um, but a, a lot of the writers are on there several times a day. They really love interacting. A lot of them have just as much of experience um, with with writing, and you know you get other viewpoints as well. Mm-hmm. So I, it's also a very safe place to be in there and to be yourself, which is amazing. Um, yeah, it's so, a good community. Yeah, it really is. If you would like to support the podcast, you can go to it's coffee, but it's ko-fi.com slash alone. And I know that I, I've been told by two people now that searching for alone in a room with invisible people for some reason is not coming up. So um, I'm going to try to figure out why it's not showing up in the search engine. But again, just type in ko-fi.com slash alone, and it should bring you to the page. Um, that just, again, every dollar counts. Every every couple of dollars is, is making a difference. And again, my first goal is other than, you know, a sustainable podcast so that Holly doesn't have to keep supporting this as much as she does. The sustainable podcast, $100 a month would be amazing. That can cover pretty much everything, including a, maybe I can get a real set of headphones. God, that That is them. like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's my goal right there. Because, and I just noticed the other day, this is starting to fray. Oh, geez. And it's hilarious. So I've stopped using it for anything but the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to make them... Um, go out but yeah so and if you want to support holly there's several different ways it's any any support of holly also supports the podcast so that goes you can go to again coffee it is ko hyphen fi.com slash holly lyle one word her last name is l-i-s-l-e um you can buy any of her fiction pretty much anywhere you want to take a look on amazon um, Barnes and Noble, Smashwords, just all over the place. Just, you know, you, whatever way is best for you to read her fiction, you could probably find it. And the other way is to drop on in hollyswritingclasses.com and take a look at her shop. She has amazing classes. There will be, I'm sure you've heard the the spot that we had today. If you also are a um, member and you have really had eureka moments or breakthroughs or anything that you would like to to tell us about you can either write me a very short testimonial anywhere between 30 and 60 seconds is what i can read aloud for you or you can send me an audio clip i'm accepting those at show at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com and I did have a couple of people reach out to me about the depression, infertility, frustrations over mental health issues. If you need somebody to talk to, we have started a thread 
in the podcast form. It's called the listener podcast, uh, the podcast listener support thread or form or, or post or whatever. But you can also reach out to me at Rebecca at alone with invisible people.com. So, uh, you know, we're all writers, we're all here together. And if you are a little bit more private and don't want to share on the forum, you've got my email address and I am here for you. So I think that is it for me. I just want to say thank you so much for the people who are supporting this podcast. And also thank you to everybody who is listening. There's no obligation to support these, these episodes will always be free for as long as we do them. And we just, we really, you know, we love the idea that this is helping you guys. Yes. Yes. And thank you. Um, I, I enjoy coming in here and sitting and talking with my daughter every day, but uh, I have been just thrilled to get to meet some of you folks in the forum and uh, get to actually talk with you, you know, in, in as much as close to real life as we can get. And uh, I am very excited about some of the coffee bonuses that we've got coming up. I am going to say that for folks who fund us monthly, uh, we're going to be doing a live chat once every couple of months. And that fund Holly monthly. Yeah, that fund, well, yeah, that, yes, uh, that, that fund m- my coffee. Uh, we will be getting together and doing a live chat, and it's just going to be people asking me questions and us sitting and talking. I think that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So, <laughs> so with that, um, we, I, I am so excited to be here, and we will see you soon.